Hi, this is Daphne Maxwell-Reed, and you are listening to TV Confidential. Ed Roberts with a reminder that the next District TV Confidential will premiere next week on this station at the usual time. We will play part two of our conversation with Martha Bolton. Martha Bolton, the first female comedy writer hired by Bob Hope. Please join us for that. In the meantime, Tony Figueroa and Donna Allen are with us as we remember the life and legacy of Ken Osmond. Ken Osmond, the actor known around the world as Eddie Haskell on Leave it to Beaver. Ken Osmond passed away one year ago this week in TV history. Oh, the, the other thing I want to mention yeah. before we forget is we've talked about this before many times on the program. Some child stars are able to make the transition from child star to grown-up performer, and others, for whatever reason, are not. Some child stars struggle when the show is canceled or, or their movie career ends. To a person, none of the child actors on Leave it to Beaver fall into that category. They all are and were functional people. And Ken talks about that in his book. And I think a lot, part of it is because they were so busy. They were so busy, they didn't have time to, you know, wander into other, into other stuff. But you talked about Conley and Mosher and the people who put the show together behind the scenes. They, they created an environment where they could be kids. They had a basketball hoop set up in the back of the uh, lot. So when they were on set but weren't needed on the soundstage, they could relax and play ball and just be kids. And I think he also, I think Ken also mentions that the shooting schedule was set up in a way that, I mean, no, normally in, well, maybe not so much today, but uh, when the three of us were growing up, normally the bulk of shooting uh, for episodic television shows took place June, July, August, right in the heart of mm -hmm. the summer. That was not necessarily the case with Leave it to Beaver. They, the, the schedules were set up so that the kids, in many cases, the kids have maybe, maybe not the entire summer off, but at least part of the summer off where they could just relax and be kids and go to camp or go on vacation or whatever. Mm -hmm. So all of them... And, and how many episodes per season? Was well, this is back in the late 50s, early 1960s, so you're probably thinking of at least 30 episodes, if not more, yeah. per season. Yeah, I, my, the number yeah. in my head is like 36. That's what yeah, I'm yeah that's what I'm remembering. Yeah. yeah, yeah. so they worked hard, and but they were, uh, even a working hard, they were allowed to be kids, and that's why none of them suffered the pitfalls that, that unfortunately you know befall a lot of child stars when their shows are canceled. And the fact that Leave it to Beaver is still on today... It's it's one of the it's one of the few shows that has never been off television, and it's a show that I have always described as true Americana. Yeah, uh, it's just, it's priceless. It's innocent. I remember trying to explain to uh, a coworker who was from the UK, and she knew people Americans were crazy about this show, and she asked me one day, "What is is it about a beaver?" And I said, <laughs> That, that's just that's a nickname. And it was uh, when she did finally see it, I think her words were ridiculously wholesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. That's the beauty well, of it. Yeah. I remember, you know, growing up here, uh, Leave it to Beaver was not in syndication in any of the lo on any of the local channels here when I was, you know, like from seven until maybe the time I turned 13, 14. 
that's surprising. I am surprised. surprised, Yeah. Yeah. Because, but I would always hear references to leave it to beaver. So it wasn't until I was, you know, uh, an early, early teenager when I started watching the episodes and then so much made sense because I kept hearing, well, you know, the world isn't like this or life isn't like an episode of leave it to beaver or he's getting in trouble like the beaver on leave it to beaver or, you know, uh, so I kept hearing this about the show being used as a metaphor. And I, I think it was uh, at that time it was still uh, KCOP channel 13 here. They started showing it uh, from the early, early episodes. So like one of the first ones I saw was the haircut and stuff like that. So wow. Okay. I can see why this show was popular and I can see why this show represented a certain time period. And, and, the fa- and the, it is so popular. I mean, one of the most sought after sex in Hollywood is the Beaver Cleaver's yeah. house. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, before Desperate Housewives, if you were to take the Universal Studios tour, that street, which everyone now knows as Wisteria Lane, that used to be known as the street where the Leave it to Beaver house is, yeah. or the street where the Munster's house is. And of course, you know, that house... Well- yeah, Marcus Welby, yeah. So, yeah, that Marcus became... Welby, Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew, uh, we could go on. Yeah. And on. Yeah, but I think, you know, Leave It to Beaver was that. I think Leave It to Beaver also was the show that got a lot of blame. I know Gilligan's Island is probably the most maligned show in the history of American television, but I think Leave It to Beaver was the show that took a lot of the blame with the parents' groups. You know, that kids are growing up thinking that all problems can be resolved in 30 minutes. Uh, you know, that it, it set a false expectation of what, you know, American life would be. Now, I think to be that, fair, you have to you have to throw in Donna Reed and My Three Sons and all those and, other uh, things. And, uh, and uh, Father Knows Best. Father Knows Best. But I think Leave it to Beaver was often the one that was the, uh, the scapegoat for that. Probably, you know, not Father Knows Best because Robert Young was such an institution. You couldn't say anything bad about Robert Young. But yeah, I think Leave it to Beaver was often that show that would be set to blame. Now, I personally think because at that time, the grown-ups were people who were ones that grew up without television. So they, they have a different skew than all of us because we all grew up where that electronic piece of furniture was a fixture in our homes by this point. So, but for some reason, I think Leave it to Beaver always got uh, wrongly uh, blamed or saying that television gave you know our generation a skewed view of uh, reality. Well, I, I, think- I, I think the image that a lot of critics glommed on to was the fact that June Cleaver was always portrayed with perfect, perfectly coiffed hair and pearls and a dress and heels doing housework or you know whatever she was doing. May I address? Uh, two of the things you just said. Sure. The heels. June Cleaver, first couple of seasons, really wasn't wearing the heels, but as the, the boys grew up and got taller, she felt she had to be taller. So that's when she started wearing uh, the heels. The pearls. She did not like her neck. She thought it was too skinny. Uh-huh. But that's why she wore the pearls. The little pieces of trivia. There's always a practical, you know, nine times out of ten, there's always a practical reason behind. Like, for example, uh, the reason why Rosemary always wore a black bow. 
I've always wondered that. She did not reveal this until the release of her documentary, Wait Till You Laugh, in uh, 2017. Her husband died uh, just before production of the final season of The Dick Van Dyke Show. And um, she used to wear different color bows, you know, as sort of a connection to her when she was baby Rosemary. But when her husband, Buddy Guy, died in 1964, 65, she wore a black bow wherever she went, publicly or personally. And it was, it was, it was like her permanent armband uh, for mourning. Uh, so that was, her, that was her remembrance of her husband. Yeah. And I know she almost left the Dick Van Dyke show after she lost her husband. Correct. It yeah. was very, it was very difficult yeah. for her to come back. Yeah. And it was, you know, I think Richard Deacon was a big help to her. He also was the same suit size as her husband, so he got all the suits. <laughs> I remember see, hearing that. I think it was in one of the Dick Van Dyke books I read. Uh, but th I think there's another interesting connection because June Cleaver was criticized for what she wore, that this was not realistic for an American housewife to look like this all the time. But then when Mary Tyler Moore wanted to dress like wearing the capri pants at home, mm -hmm. that was an issue. That was controversial, that she wasn't looking like, you know, when she would go into the city to see Rob, you know, go shopping or visit Rob at the office, she looked very different. Yeah. But, you know, this is how she would look at home. Yeah. And that was controversial to the point where, well, she can only dress that way at home. And only once per episode. So you have one end with June Cleaver, and then you have the other end with uh, Laura Petrie. But, again, it's why I figured, you know, some of these shows were often, you know, trying to be the scapegoat for saying, oh, this is what's wrong with the medium. This is, you know, this is how it's hurting our kids. But, yeah, but then when you take those same rules and then you apply uh, a situation like with Mary Tyler Moore where she wanted to look more like a housewife at home. Oh, no, we can't have that. No, we did. I remember you, uh, Ed, you, I, and Dan Farron were talking to, and I forgot his name right now. This is the problem with the whole isolation. I, I'm forgetting names more and Paul more. Green? Uh, Paul Green, yes. Yeah. And we were comparing, you know, television in the States to television in the UK at the time. Yeah. And, you know, one of the criticisms that Paul would have of that Everything was so clean. Yeah. And everything was so perfect in American television. And Dan Farron had brought up very astutely, said, yeah, because of the sponsors. You know, if your sponsor is Windex, you better not have dirty windows in your scene. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and you can apply that with mopping glow and, and uh, janitor in a drum and every other cleaning product. Or, and, the, or the FBI, every car is a Ford. Every car is a Ford. Yeah. And, you know, it seemed like, no matter unless you were in Sanford and Son or the Beverly Hillbillies, people got new cars every couple of years. Yeah. You know, unless the car was a character in the show, yeah. you know, usually created by George Barris, you know, you didn't see people with older cars. You wanted that person to have the new Cadillac, the new Ford, the new this. So appliances got upgrades and things like that. And that's because, you know, you were working with the sponsor. You went from sponsor owned shows to the sponsors still having a certain say over yeah. the contact. Uh, so you may have the teenager that goes out to buy the used car, but the wage earners, they had to have a certain standard of living in their home. Well, so, yeah. Ward Cleaver's first car came from the Universal Auto Pool. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The and, transportation department, yeah. Yeah, and um, it was a Ford Fairlane, which had previously been used in a movie called Psycho. 
Oh. It was Marion Crane's second car. She's running from the law. He, she trades in her first car for Fort Fairline, and that later became Ward Cleaver's first car and Leave It to Beaver. Well, obviously not the one that went into the swamp. There, <laughs> Let's hope. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, so, yeah, so they're, they're you know, I, I do find it funny, and I've had this argument. It's like, okay, so you want to debate the morality of a show or anything of that, but it's like, you know, Madison Avenue has a lot of influence, but nobody's complaining about them. And in a way, that's still true. I mean, yeah. we, we've all been around a lot of sets, and sometimes I'll come upon a set, and I pretty much know what it is. And people have asked, well, how, how do you know it's a, it's a commercial? I said, everything is perfect and pristine. It's beautiful. Yeah. If it were a crime trauma, it, would, it wouldn't be this pristine. There'd yeah. be some grittiness to it. But no, definitely a commercial. I'm usually right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if you see that every window has the same flower box that's full of flowers, and every 10 feet it's the same tree and... No the, litter. No litter. And very pretty people. Yeah. And everyone looks like they're outfitted by Banana Republic or J. Crew. Yeah, it's a commercial. Child of Television.blogspot.com, also StorySalon.com or Facebook.com forward slash StorySalon. Donald's new book, by the way, is called Fall Again beginning because it's a romantic novel that asks the question what would you do if you met the perfect person only it was not the perfect time for more information go to fallagainseries.com this week in tv history now has its own podcast you can enjoy this week in tv history with tony figueroa on megaphone and wherever else you find podcasts stay with us folks we'll be right back you can follow seven brown on facebook as well as seven brown Com. You can follow Jennifer Armstrong on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, as well as JenniferKArmstrong.com. Here's our program this week, folks. Ed Robertson, Baffatoni Figueroa, Donna Allen, Phil Grace, and Greg Arabar. Thank you so much for listening. Stay healthy. Stay safe. We'll talk to you next time on TV Confidential. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at tvconfidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.